welcome. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is the Man Talk Show. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. And joining me today is Justin Beretta. And Justin is an electronic music producer and founding member of the Glitch Mob, a Los Angeles-based live electronic group known for its risk-taking style and sonic experimentation. So Justin and I talk about a whole bunch of different things. Uh, one of the main things that we discuss is the intersection between artistry and spirituality, between creativity and our spiritual understanding and connection to existence and how that intersection meets. Uh, Justin has done some really incredible work outside of his work with the Glitch Mob and uh, actually worked on a, on a little bit of a project with Ramdas where he took one of, uh, one of the teachings that Ramdas had done. I'm not too sure when it was from, but a few decades ago. And it was actually a meditation that Ramdas had led. And Justin puts that, uh, meditative, that meditation, that guided meditation, uh, to a music track that he specifically created and designed uh, to enhance the experience of going into the meditative state while listening to Ram Dass's meditation. So we'll have a link for that in the bio. Uh, I really enjoyed it, actually. I've I've used it a, quite a few times now and have really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a lengthier one, um, but it's great to get into. So I hope that you enjoy that. And then we talk about uh, his upcoming project where he's working with Alan Watts's son, and he's taking some of the uh, old teachings of Alan Watts, and I think uh, potentially some of the unheard teachings. Uh, Mark Watts, which is Alan Watts' son, has uh, a whole bunch of Alan Watts' um, teachings and recordings, and, uh, and a, a bunch of it is unpublished. So we talk about that, and we talk about what he's producing, and uh, just some of the some of the ways in which he he goes about creating some of this content, because I think one of the interesting things for all of us out there is, you know, looking at whether it's our spirituality or our artistry, looking for ways to deepen that. And uh, I think one of the interesting things is that Justin has found this very interesting intersection between spirituality and artistry, where he's sort of allowing them to, to cross paths and cross threads and... Uh, he talks about his own personal journey and how it has deepened his own practice. So I hope that you enjoy. Don't forget to leave a rating and review. It goes a long way. And I just wanted to say a quick thank you to everyone that's tuning in. Um, over the past couple of months, man, our downloads have exploded. So <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening, but thank you so much for everyone that that is uh, tuning in, that's sharing this podcast um, maybe it was the uh, how to apologize to a woman and how to apologize to a man episodes. Those seem to have gotten a, a, just a ton of traction. Uh, and, and one of the episodes on The Shadow seems, seems to have been shared more times than anything else. So a huge thank you to all of you for tuning in and for sharing the show. Uh, so without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Justin Beretta. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm looking, looking forward to this. It's been a, been a hot minute since we got introduced. And uh, I've been silently stalking your work in the background. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. And, and let's start off with, with the question that I ask all my guests, which is, tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. That's a great question. And, and a number of things come to mind. And the, the one that really just jumped out for me uh, was getting to meet Ram Dass. And, I, and it's funny because this is actually so much later in life for me, and, but it's defined who I am right now. And I think of my life in kind of different phases. And, and ever since I discovered the work of, of Ram Dass and, and got deeper into meditation, it has been a sort of blossoming, a flowering of a whole new way of, of being that lined up with my um, all my different practices and my whole musical journey and everything. So I created this this meditation piece around a speech that he gave in 1972 called Imagine. And as part of that, I got in touch with the foundation and became friends. And it was a whole crazy journey that I had leading up to actually getting deep into Ram Dawson's work because I had had Be Here Now and I had read it 
it wasn't really until I went deep into it that it it really just changed everything for me. And I got to go to Maui and on my birthday, actually a couple of years ago and spend the day with him just hanging out and um, talking and just really existing with him. And the feeling of, of being around someone that not only was like, was a mentor from afar, I felt like for so many years, he, he the, the teachings that he, he channels, I, I suppose, um, really shaped me. So getting to be with a person who is still alive and um, there's so much history behind everything that he did, but really there's a feeling when you get to spend, spend time with him and it was something of unconditional love or just this, this magical acceptance of being completely seen in the room. And like, I see you on a, on a soul level for, from someone that I had never met in person, but I had felt like I had spent time with before. And I think about that, that experience. And um, I've got to spend more time with him since then. I think about that almost every day. And it, it finds its way to everything that I do. Very cool. Very cool. I mean, Ramdas has been, I love the way you described it, like the, the mentor from afar, you know, the, <laughs> that sort of yeah. in, influence in our life that can really shape the direction and the, the sort of course of our life, even though that person isn't an active part of, uh, you know, our, our sort of like daily interaction, you know, we're not seeing them, touching them, being around them but their their wisdom sort of rubs off on us so for you what was maybe just elaborate a little bit more on on what parts of his teachings really started to impact you and how they started to shift your perspective yeah absolutely so um you know i think there's there's this idea of of mentorship that is funny because i mean growing up just thinking of the idea of a mentor with someone that i thought i would physically go visit once a week or once a month and get get time with them and almost like an apprenticeship but I, i've really shifted the idea of what that could be and um for me it was so i got i got into meditation through transcendental meditation just about 10 years ago now and that's a that's a very stripped down mantra based system that um didn't have a lot of meat on the, the bones so to speak as far as teachings it's, it really helped me get my concentration practice down and you know i spent a lot of time in the in, in the world of tm and then i had a number of experiences that led me to come into the the, the ramdas teachings behind be here now so that book you know i had it i, I had seen it around and it had been it had been near me but it was actually one of his newer books called polishing the mirror that informed these a number of these psychedelic experiences i had had so i had done a a high dose psilocybin session myself quite a while ago that that was so transformative that i came out of it and i was really doing this alone and it's funny because you know psychedelics have right now there's a lot of stuff happening um and there's a lot of information out there and when i started this i was reading this book by Jim Fadiman called the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide and kind of rolling my own psychedelic ceremony. And uh, it was so impactful to me to feel loved from beyond, from something that was inside of myself, but was also external. It was the kind of the same thing. It was this whole experience of classic non-duality. And then I, had, then I read the Ram Dass book and he was almost going back in time and explaining this experience that I had had. And it was like, someone from a different time was handing me this map that had also been this map is something you know he didn't necessarily create this he's just repackaging it for us from his guru maharaji and there there was something about reading that that felt like okay i'm not alone here this experience that i had and also for me it came from psychedelics but the you know i think the the, the magic of it is that people get there so many different ways. There are many ways up to the top of this mountain. And he's not even talking about it from psychedelics, more of just an experience of, um, of, of love and of oneness and of presence that that's something that um, absolutely changed everything for me. Very cool. Very cool. And how, how did you see this start to, um, well, maybe, maybe just before we get into this, I was going to ask how have you seen that 
awareness and that expansion that you're talking about start to infiltrate and, and impact your creativity. I think I just want to back up for a moment and, and sort of talk about the, you know, what, what your journey to creativity has been and, you know, what you are creating in the world, just that the listeners have a little bit more context for that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been um, writing albums and touring with my band, The Glitch Mob, for uh, just, just about a little over a decade now. And it's, we're a beat-driven live dance music experience. And, um, and I have a number of other projects that have come off of, off of that. So I also create ambient music under my name, Beretta, or I have another project that we just launched called Superposition in which I explore the total polar opposite of the live, crazy electronic dance stuff. So there's kind of a, a, a fun polarity there, which is a project that I just launched around doing this, these sort of uh, meditation projects. Very cool. And, and in terms of like what got you down into that path in the first place, because uh, I'm, always, I'm always interested in that. Like my, you know, obviously, I think for most of the listeners, they know that I went down the, the musical path and... Um, my, my journey after high school led me to getting a, you know, a, a degree in music and that led me to singing classical music and I was an opera singer and, you know, got to go travel and, and tour all over the place. And I was really pulled into that out of a, a deeper calling of wanting to work on myself and wanting to understand my sort of internal universe, I guess you could say. And, you know, my intellectual body, my emotional body, my my intuitional body and, and my physical body and music was like this vehicle for me to explore and deepen my self-understanding. Um, and I'm curious for you, like what drew you to music in the first place? Like, were you, were you, you know, spinning as a kid? Were you in music as, as like a child or did that come later on in life? And, and what pulled you towards this creative path? Yeah. So I, I have, spent a lot of time making music on computers ever since a very young age. And I was in high school, I was getting all of the early electronic music production software and creating there. And, and then I got my first set of turntables at the age of 15 and got really into DJing jungle and drum and bass. And once I found that, I knew that I was, this is, this is just what I'm doing, but I never thought I had an intention at any point to do it quote unquote professionally. Um, it was just something that I did as a hobby. So I got really into the rave culture in Southern California. And then um, I moved up to UC Santa Cruz and went to school there. And in and around San Francisco, there was a very vibrant, like underground nature based music scene that I, I, I was getting a film degree there. And I thought I wanted to go off and go and come back down to Southern California and get into the film industry, but ended up um, meeting after college meeting Ed and Josh, my bandmates, and getting deeper into um, the music pr production and performance. And I had a number of other jobs there, but at some point I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna move down to LA and see what happens if I give this a go. But you know, it was never, we never sat down and thought, let's form a band or let's form a production group or see how this goes. So for me, um, oh, most of my formative experiences when I think about highlights of different ages throughout my in twenties were around music, and you know at the time I would never have called it like a, a spiritual practice. But now, and you know retroactively looking, I think that that's that's really what it is for me. And 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 I only mean by that specifically that um, music really is the substance that those uh, incredible experiences happen, and it's always been something for me that is I'm so deeply intertwined with. And you know when when I've been in a dark place. And listen to just that right song at the right time. I hear, I put on Radiohead, Kid A, and everything is immediately better. So music is has uh, been there throughout the the love of my life and the dark times and the fun. And it's something to it's, it's at the same time it's a craft, but it's also like a path that I walk on. And so mm. um, for me, the the process also of spending more time in, in in the, the studio and writing these albums, I feel more and more like like a student now than I ever have before. So I've gone back and taken music theory lessons, or I was decided that like, okay, I want to, I should learn how to write a string arrangement. So let's go take piano lessons. But I really came at it from a total, almost like hobbyist, amateur, 
angle where I was just fucking around. Um, and I, I am grateful that actually I kind of learned the wrong way um, and didn't really know the rules until I was, and had already totally broken them because uh, now going back and learning this stuff, it's, it's cool to see that my, my intuitional creative mind had figured a bunch of stuff out just through through listening and experimentation that then grafting a lot of the theories and frameworks on top of it has been really helpful. Awesome. I I almost interjected there when you said music theory because it made me cringe. <laughs> and yeah. like as a as a guy that did no music whatsoever and then started, you know, at like 18 or 19 trying to like learn music and having to go back to to college and you know learn the notes on the piano and then learn music theory it was like that was the most painstaking part of my degree and i just remember i just remember this part of me that was like i'm here for the creativity i don't give a shit about this stuff why like why do i have to learn you know 12 tone rows and like contemporary uh, music that's based off of like mathematics that you know like no one listens to but anyway so <laughs> yes. almost, I had that exact almost went off that's 100 percent. i mean i remember being i did take one music theory class in college and i was like i just i can't even do this and i do think that had i had a really good professor that that would have made it interesting and fun that maybe i would have gotten into it but I, I was, I was like, I just want to make beats. I don't care about learning keys and scales. And I, I was, I guess I came came at it more from a technical sound design standpoint. But um, but it's funny. But now I'm like, oh, I see. There's a beauty in all the mathematics of it. Now that I, um, I'm approaching it from from a, trying to learn new things. It, but for me that starting with that absolutely did not work because it, it wasn't fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really interesting to see how some of those pieces can come together and, and you can expand your creative process, but um, yeah, it's the music theory world and where pe- some people take it is very fascinating to me and, and where the sort of like lengths of creativity can expand. And I think it's interesting because creativity can be approached it seems like there's like an amalgamation process that a lot of people will will take where they will merge their creative process with a mathematic process or with a biological process or uh, you know with a physics process and and create something out of that. And I think the interesting thing is for you, it seems like you had this you know long creative process where you're exploring your creativity. And then at what point did you feel like spirituality started to enter the picture and uh, sort of shape the way that you created your music? Yeah. So um, in the in the beginning of the Glitch Mob career, and also I would say like around from the time graduated college, there was a lot of partying that was wrapped up in music and I was going to Burning Man. And uh, it wasn't until I had experienced an ayahuasca ceremony that everything sort of changed for me um so it was like that style of although it, you know, looking back i had some pretty crazy experiences but it was very recreational and sloppy and there was no container to it just be like we're just taking acid and running around at a festival and seeing what happens but i went to a ceremony and, and felt the experience of a um a container and an intention and a supportive circle in which we would discuss what's going to happen. We are going to have this experience and then we would discuss it the next day. And and I did that a number of times. And then I actually stopped for quite a long time. So it was right around the time that I did, I had this experience. I discovered meditation and I was like, wait, I don't actually need the drugs to get there. Although I would be lying if I said that it wasn't the the combination of drugs and life that got me there, but I, I stopped doing anything for quite a while. Uh, after that so it was when i had my first tm session and i had just was absolutely blown out of the water as far as what i was experiencing i thought this whole time i thought it was these these uh alkaloids that was coming from these plants that was giving me that were giving me these experiences but really that was all inside me all along and um so in that period of of exploring meditation and then non-ordinary states without anything was really when the whole thing 
blossomed for me. And um, so yeah, at, at the time that we were writing our first album, the, all three of us in the band, myself, Ed and Josh, were all going through a crazy heartbreak. And it was so funny. It was just like, I, I look back now and laugh, but at the time it was not funny. <laughs> like we, just, we, we knew we had to write an album. And there was so much chaos happening in life. We had a friend pass away, a friend and mentor passed away, and the cascading just breakups and deceit and all sorts of shit. And right then and there, we knew that the only thing we could do to get through it was to write music. So we'd come into the studio every day, just the three of us. We didn't play this music for anyone, not for our manager, not for our friends. We basically locked ourselves away. And the process of getting into the studio and writing every day and, and and really just dumping out our guts into the music was what shaped the whole career. Because I would say before that, the culture of, of party music is more like the music, it's, it's celebratory, it's fun, it's there as a background for you to have whatever sort of a concert experience you're having. And then I think the merger of that with this this big thing that happened to us this was 2010 so if you kind of like you go back and listen to glitch mob music before 2010 it was very like very fun party music and then right when we came out with drink the sea it was this whole like uh odyssey of emotion for us but it's, i mean it still obviously had that kind of attitude to it um which set, sent everything into a completely different direction and also at the time of being in this really difficult state going through this this multi-layered clusterfuck breakup. <laughs> um, I was listening to a lot of music that was just getting me through the day. I would listen to, for me, it was Cigarro, the Radiohead, or uh, M83 and this stuff. And I felt like, wow, if I could be part of this conversation, of if, if something that I create could help someone get out of bed in the morning or be the soundtrack to a love or whatever that thing is, then that's that's all I really want to do. Yeah, it's so powerful, man. I, I'm curious, and this is like totally random and out there. You've mentioned Radiohead a few times. Uh, and <laughs> I really love uh, Videotape by Radiohead. Like it's such a powerful song. And I love the way oh, they yeah. weave all the different pieces together. But what are, and then this, I'm putting you on the spot here. So if you don't have an answer, like by all means, please don't worry about it. But what are some songs that you think that most people should listen to? Like, what are some absolute staples? And, and maybe I can preface this with like really rich experiential songs. Cause it seems like you have a flavor for those types of, of songs. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, speaking specifically about Radiohead, um, there's something about them for me that balances art and entertainment so well like because you can it's such beautiful deep thoughtful tortured music and at the same time it's super fun and it's got all sorts of complex music stuff in it and i really think that kid a is the perfect example of that and um i know a lot of radiohead fans would probably argue me on that um but i would actually recommend listening to the album from start to finish because i think we're in a culture of spotify playlist and sending um you know it's really easy to pick an album apart but at the time when it came out it was really meant to be listened to from start to finish so i would recommend anyone that's never done it or in rainbows but really like put on headphones take an hour light a candle and just listen listen from start to finish and let it take you on on journey awesome man so good so good it's i i couldn't agree more <laughs> um all right well let's let's shift gears a little bit here because i think we've We've sort of been talking about, you know, inadvertently this intersection between spirituality and creativity. And I think for a lot of people, you know, they they maybe experience spirituality, but don't have a creative practice or they experience creativity, but don't have a spiritual practice uh, or or they have both. Um, but the two don't necessarily meet. And it seems like a lot of the work that you have started to lean into you know, this, the, the project that you did with Ram Das and um, I know you have an upcoming project. I don't know if we can, I didn't ask you whether or not we can talk about that on the show. So I'll, maybe I'll just let you broach that, whether or not that's possible. Yeah, yeah, but, we can talk about that. Yeah. Cool. And, you know, you have this upcoming project that you're working on around some of the work that Alan Watts did and, and putting that to track. Like, what is this 
you know, um, draw to the intersection between spirituality and creativity, specifically musical creativity? And why do you think it's so important? That's, that's such a good question. And I would say you know, one of the reasons why Ram Dass and Alan Watts, uh, Pema Kodron, these sorts of teachers that have been saying this stuff for a while, one of the reasons why it's really resonated with me is that there's an awareness around everything being part of the spiritual process. So I think when I first started getting into it, I thought that spirituality was just magic and beauty and transcendent mystical states. But really, the, the pithiness of Ramdas is that all of it is part of the, the, the beauty of, of life and of this thing that we're all experiencing. And we really have no idea what's going on on some level. So why not just love each other? And there's, there's something in the actual the humor of these teachers that has been, um, uh, it's, it's just so refreshing. It's like, I think when I listen to Alan Watts, who is really my, my, um, my, my on-ramp into a lot of this stuff. So um, I had Alan Watts books around my house as a, as a kid. My, my father had um, Against the Taboo of, oh, what's the name of the book? Uh, the Taboo of Being You or something? But anyways, I, I messed that up. But anyways, he had, he had Alan Watts books around. And, um, and when I really started listening to his talks, there was, I, I got the feeling, the same feeling when you're just laying out under the stars at night and you're looking and thinking that, wow, all my problems are kind of inconsequential because there's this, there's so much happening out there in the universe. Listening to a, a good Alan Watts talk for me has that same exact effect where everything is just magically put into this perspective where the ups, the downs, the, the anger, the grief, all that stuff is part of this thing that's just happening and it's all okay as long as you just have some, some awareness of it. And so, for me, the practice of making music or listening music is part of the same, the same brushstroke. Where it's, I think of it like a process. Where um, you know, I look, I look back and I think about the times which we were fully in our creative integrity, or the times where it would be pushed back and forth by market forces or by um, external external forces, whether it's people around us, or I think of the kind of the uh, the journey of being impeccable with the, the authentic voice is really where I see the overlap with, with the spiritual practice. So yeah, I think about, will I listen to this when I'm sitting around and when I'm 80 years old? And do I think that this is something that I'm really saying that that's, that's a true authentic statement? Cause it's not, for me, it's like, it's not necessarily a decision just to be a certain way, but it's the, it's, it's the, the attempt and the practice of enjoying all of these things as it's all happening. And I know it sounds like it's a total cliche around the journey, not the destination. Um, Cause I think as a creative, it's so easy to be so um, harsh. And, and also I think saying a creative, there's this binary around being like, are you a creative and are you not? I think we all are creative in all these different things we do and specifically around creating music and art and writing and putting yourself out there part of the reason why we can do this is because we have these these um inner uh, productivity um i don't want to say critics are just some part of you that's out there that's making you want to show up every day and push and do this thing and i think that can become overactive and looking back it's more about my relationship with it and did i say what i really had to say did i did i believe in what i had to say at the time even if in retrospect you know, it's it's really just something that that comes and goes in ways, and and trying to be as non-judgmental to myself as I possibly can, and that's something that I grapple with every day. And that also comes out in being non-judgmental to the person that maybe doesn't doesn't do a good job in the studio that day, or other artists. And so for me, that's really a a practice that that keeping within that integrity has yielded fruits of, of really uh, enjoying the process as much as I can. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things that that I've noticed along along the way and that was really prominent within my like personal journey within music is that there seems to be within the arts, within creativity, it seems to be like this draw back towards. Uh, maybe I should preface this preface this with I think that really great art and really great creativity 
draws us back in within our human experience or pulls us out into this sort of existential uh, reminder of a truth that maybe we can't articulate with words. And I think the really cool thing about the work that you're doing is that it's taking some of these spiritual teachings and, and some of, you know, some of the talks of Alan Watts or Ram Dass or, or whoever. And, and a lot of these teachings are exactly that. It's, it's these teachings that remind us of, you know, our humanity and our intuition and our spirit and our soul and these, you know, these parts of us that, that we can't really touch or identify and that we have troubles with sometimes identifying in words, but there's an, there's an experience of it that, that we can sometimes point to. And I feel like really great art does that naturally. And I love the fact that there's this interweaving of the, the music and some of the music that you create. And I, I actually kind of want to dovetail into this, like into your creative process and understand how you do it. Because when I listen to your track, it seems to sort of like coincide with what Ram Das is talking about. And when I, and I kind of hear this, this like the music and the parts that you have pieced in and the sounds of nature or the instruments that you tie in, it, it seems to elevate it in such a natural way that it's almost as though the, the speaker has dictated it. So I'm curious for you, how did you take something that's already iconic? Because I would imagine that you that you looked up to Ram Dass in some capacity and expand on that. And how did you go about the creative process of trying to honor what this you know person is saying and and elevate his words? So I think there's something really important and that you hit on there in terms of the way that music can transmit emotion or paint pictures of things and places that words couldn't possibly do. There's something about that that is at the core of the musical experience. Um, there's this really incredible book called Sacred Knowledge by William Richards that's about his time using using psilocybin with, with terminal cancer patients. And even if you're not interested in psychedelics at all, he has a lot of really beautiful musings on the way that music can help you sort of... Uh, see worlds that you wouldn't be able to describe with language or even imagery. And, and in fact, the music is that world. Um, and that actually that influenced the, the name of our pre of our, the glitch mom's last album called see without eyes, which was a, an homage to the way the music is, is that, um, that sort of experience. So for me, the way that I create and the way that I did the, the Ram Dass piece and um, an upcoming Alan Watts piece is getting into a state of play because it's so easy to overthink this stuff and to think about things that um, I think are antithetical to the, the the vibe or the experience that the the audio is trying to create. So, and, and when I say play, I mean that I, I set up a bunch of instruments and I'm, I'm doing everything in my computer. So I have have a keyboard and I have an Ableton push and I basically I, I choose the uh, the palette of the audio beforehand so I've kind of decided that yeah there's a there's a sound of a, a fire a campfire here and there's these chimes and all these different things so the palette is laid out and I really try to separate out the analytical uh, thought based work and the R&D stuff from the actual creation. So it's okay, I've got, a, I've got this meditation here. I have this whole palette set. And then I basically just jam and do many layers of playing and performance and messing around and just hitting things until I'm trying to put myself into a kind of flow state where I'm not really thinking too much and just vibing along. And I think of the, the ambient audio behind these meditations more as ornamentation, like it's a backdrop or, um, something that's kind of a hanging hanging little bits and little almost christmas tree ornaments on top of what they're saying to to give another way back down into it because i think that um there's something about having a musical bed there for me that uh, it, it adds another another dimension to to the, the guided meditation yeah i i couldn't agree more i think the 
the interesting piece is, you know, some of the some of the I think like the main piece that you did with with Ram Das that I listened to is almost like a lecture, right? And I think that's a really interesting piece is like taking taking something that's more lecture style. It, it is meditative um, in its own way, but it's it's sort of like a would you call it a lecture? Or would you call it like a guided meditation? Or how would you classify that? Yeah, I would say the uh, the Imagine one that I did with Ram Dass, that one was intended to be a, uh, a guided meditation where I think it was it was right after he, he had returned from India to the States and, re- and recorded this, the group of people. Um, then the new, the Alan Watts one, one of them is kind of a meditation and the other one is more of a lecture where he's sort of riding the line, will take you in to the present moment and then back out. So I think that uh, Alan Watts definitely plays a little more with with the uh, the analytical mind there. Awesome, awesome, I love it. Yeah, and how do you take someone like Alan Watts that is, I mean, in in my opinion, incredibly analytical, and you know, most of his teachings, from my perspective, are like it's almost like you have someone who is incredibly skilled at logic breaking down existential questions <laughs> you know and and really looking at it from like the most direct way possible and trying to bring it bring these like large existential questions or problems into really simple almost like solution oriented sentences so how do you structure music around something as logical as that yeah so um part of the whole process with alan watts has been incredible as i i've I've got to to spend time with his son mark who's just an incredible human and um just talking about what it was like traveling around for him and interviewing uh recording his father giving these talks and um and i've spent countless hours listening to different Alan Watts talks, trying to find just the right thing. So the one that I ended up on is it's the closest thing that he's ever done to a meditation, but it's not really a full meditation because as you say, it's so logical. Something that that he said, a metaphor that I found really useful is he calls it this almost helixing where he comes at you with one one string of logic and then there's something coming from the other side that's contradicting that are both true and then boom, pop, everything makes sense right there in that moment. So there's a lot of the, these like logic tricks. He's kind of a, it's funny, but it's also tricky. So it is, it, it, it's taken a long time to do this. I've been working on this for about a year now. Um, and although it's not like particularly intricate musically, in the same way that you're writing, writing a, a film score or something like this can take a year, but just finding the right amount of music and the right amount of audio that's going to supplement what he's saying and ornament it, but at the same time, not take it over. Because part of the inspiration for this is I was listening to a lot of these Alan Watts talks on YouTube and people would put this really overbearing emotional music on it. And I felt like these people were, were superimposing their own emotional experience or almost this kind of like heartstring uh, movie trailer vibe on top of it, which really didn't work for me because I think the magic of it is that you can kind of make up your own mind. And so I'm more almost just uh, like creating a container for this. And I think, I mean, obviously these talks work just fine without audio. So it's hard. So I try to put just enough there to add my own take on what it is. And the reason why I like ambient music and there's reason there's no real um, intense emotion is that it's more supposed to um, add a backdrop to it, almost put a frame around it and allow you to have an, an audio experience. So I add a lot of like really low frequencies that have this kind of like rumbly ocean effect. There's a lot of high sprinkly things. So it's, it's like tickled your ears a little bit more, but I really didn't want to direct too much so that people can get out of their own way and have their own experience within the, within the audio. Yeah. I, I love that because I think, you know, the more, I mean, I've been listening to Alan Watts and reading Alan Watts for over a decade now, and he's just been, you know, I think I mentioned this before I jumped on the call, but he's been that person for me that has been my, you know, mentor from afar, uh, you know, mentor that's not with us anymore. And, and 
I think one of the things that I've noticed is over the years, as he sort of caught fire on, you know, platforms like YouTube, where his teachings have just sort of been spread and spread and spread, that people have put them to things like chill step and, you know, dubstep and stuff like that. And, and sometimes it can be really interfering in the messaging and, yeah. and, and it can, it can sort of detract from being able to listen. And you can almost hear how some people have, have taken their own perspective of what it should be like, what the message is and tried to yeah. make music to amplify that their interpretation of the message rather than just adding to the sort of uh, texture of what he's saying. So what are some of the pieces, you know, because I think most people, maybe not most people, I think a lot of people know who Alan Watts is and what he talks about. How did you go about creating stuff for his specific um, type of philosophy and, and uh, intellectualism? Um, yeah, so I um, got in touch with Mark Watts and I sent him the Ram Dass piece and told him that I wanted to do this, this, this same sort of thing. And they have another project with, which coincides with this, which is that he has a lot of audio that the uh, has not been digitized yet and it's a really painstaking process to record this these reel to reel um audio and then digitize it and put it online so they want to have all this stuff be available for everybody so part of this whole project is as we um as we release this on watch piece there'll be a whole piece of this trying to raise money for them to get all this stuff to be available because as you say he's been so meaningful to me and i think it's He's, he's so good at taking these Eastern ideas and really um, packaging them for the Western mind. I mean, it's just so crazy to me that, you know, I, you can listen to stuff from 60s and 70s and even before that that resonates today just as much. I mean, he might as well be speaking now. There's something, there's something timeless about it. And um, there's two sides to what he does for me. So it's, it, it's really fascinating actually going back and listening to these archives. And I've listened to a lot of stuff that, hasn't been released to the public yet. Um, he has a lot of meditation and uh, enchanting that he was doing where he was almost like uh, doing these these different audio exercises with groups of people. He would hit a singing bowl. And and then a lot of the stuff that makes it out is more of these these classic iconic lectures. But I think both of those things are really part of, of what he does. Both of those things are really part of what he does. So there's two tracks on this release that we're doing. One of them is the meditation and one of them is, is the, this lecture about, um, about it's, it's something that you've probably heard before if you've listened to a lot of it. It's about how the thought experiment that if you, if you had infinite time to dream any dream, you would eventually dream this life that you're living right now. And there's something about that that really, for me, takes you to that that place of oh everything's okay in this moment as i'm listening to it so i i took that same approach where on the meditation side of things there's just enough audio there to illustrate what he's saying and i definitely took some creative liberties in terms of i've added a lot of space to it and we slowed everything down because he he can speak quickly so there's a lot of subtle audio manipulations that have been happening and i took pieces from other bits of his a couple meditations and talks and had this sort of a mosaic where it all made sense to me intuitively. And then the other side is the dream in a dream speech, which is something that um, is a little more straightforward. There's a, there's a, a beautiful backdrop of some kind of swelling oceanic pads there that give a sense of the, the gravity of what he's saying, but without being too uh, over the top or saccharine. That was, that was the attempt at least. I, I'd be really curious to to hear what you think. Awesome, awesome. I can't I can't wait to dig into that one. Um, I'm I'm curious how you how you sort of see this intersection of creativity and art, or 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 creativity or art and and spirituality continuing to evolve because it seems like in a in a time where you know, maybe religions are, church rates are down and communities around religion are, are you know, sort of down and, and I wouldn't say failing, but they're not thriving like they used to. And more and more people are turning to uh, the ambiguous word of spirituality and looking for these existential answers to questions that we all have. And I'm curious what responsibility you feel as an artist or if any at all, uh, any responsibility that you feel in, in terms of 
continuing to get these messages, these spiritual messages out in the world through artistic mediums and, and how you'll see that continue to evolve over the years? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not, such a good question. And that's something I think about every day. I mean, I'd probably journal about that. I'd have a journal in the morning and I think about the intersection of of all of these things because what you know what I've learned from touring around with, with the glitch mob is that anything can be a uh, sort of spiritual uh, experience for someone. You know, there's been shows where we thought, oh man, this was awful. There were not a lot of tickets sold. The sound went out, and then we'll meet someone after that was like, wow, I just had the most awful week. This just changed my life or something. So it's so funny the way that things can either be checkbox spiritual or not and i think you know with the meditation stuff that definitely falls under that category but really anything can be that and i think that as you say in in a world in which you know, in the western secular world we've lost the, the sunday morning in in church thing and there's something that i did i didn't grow up particularly religious but I, I do think that you know i spent a little bit of time going to church with some neighbors of mine around where i grew up that there's something around going to a place and just spending time, whether it's in silence or whether it's praying or um, whatever that could be, where you're, you're taking that time to just, to just be, or to experience something that is bigger than you, bigger than your problems, bigger than your successes or failures. And I think that music can be that, whether it's a dance concert, whether you're just going out to dance to house music or what, just whatever that thing that does that for you is, um, and and for me, the you know, the uh, the meditation and the ambient stuff is much more specifically geared towards that that side of things. And um, and in a way, it's like with dance music, there's there's so much that has to go into creating that whole experience, right? It's like big speakers and visuals, and there's all this this stuff. And this, what I like about the meditative ambient side of things is it's so unhinged that sometimes the best way to listen to that is not actually even a concert it's just that you have headphones and you're on laying down on the floor or in an airplane or anything like that so you know i've 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 had incredible experiences just on a walk listening to this sort of music and it doesn't require the uh the whole concert going experience but i do think that that there's something really special still about coming and going to a concert or whatever that that thing is that you love where people are gathering and, and having a shared experience that is so 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 important i love it i love it man well i think uh in the effort of time we're gonna have to wrap up here soon but i do want to ask you one final question in and around um how you've integrated you know how you've integrated some of these teachings into your own spiritual practice and so this is less of a uh, of a creative endeavor, maybe, but <laughs> but how you have integrated some of the wisdom um, of these teachers into your own life, so that the listeners have a better sense of of maybe a pathway that they can explore. Um, and I'm curious how you know maybe speaking to if you can how you've integrated some of these spiritual practices for yourself and allowed them to inform your creative practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um... So I'd say that there's a couple of things. I mean, one on a logistical level, for me, having a daily meditation practice, which is something that is, I'm really happy about the fact that that's something that seems like it's, it's spreading in the, the mainstream Western world has changed everything for me, just taking a minute to be still. Meditation and journaling, you can really hear about that stuff so much, but um, it's so easy to be distracted by all of the things that are coming at us all the time. So whether even it's just 10 minutes of, of journaling and 20 minutes of meditation, um, morning walk, stuff like that. Keeping and protecting that space for me is uh, such an important piece of just my general mental well-being. And I think that after spending months and months and months listening to Ram Dass and Alan Watson, all of these, these various teachers, I'm also a really big fan of Tara Brock. Um, she has a lot of free meditations online and that um, and a lot of people who haven't meditated asks me, I, I point them at, at her because they're all free and they're all, they're all available and incredible. Um, but the, the uh, ingesting the, the algorithm of these teachers into my experience, it's almost like having a little 
Ramdas on my shoulder sometimes. And, uh, and he has this thing that he'll say sometimes where he'll be like, ah, now this. <laughs> and it's a kind of a funny and pithy way to, um, to just zoom out and, and detach from whatever is happening in the moment. And for me, it's very much a, a, a daily practice because I think it's so easy to go down the, the rabbit hole of emotional triggers or fear, uncertainty, doubt. And if anything, the practice of working on this stuff for me is a, is a way just back to the moment. And um, it's, it's the same thing with the, with, with the Alan Watts teaching is I think there's a, a lightness and a humor in the, in the practice of, of finding something in each moment, even the really difficult experiences as being part of a bigger picture that I've found to be really, really quite useful, especially during difficult times, not really be, becoming too attached to any particular outcome, I think is something that I, I work on every day. I love it. I love it, man. It's, uh, yeah, that's powerful stuff. And I hope that people check out your work. So with it in mind, where where can people go to learn more about you? We'll obviously have links to uh, some of your work and, and you in the in the bio, but where would you like people to go and check out more of your stuff? Yeah, you can see all the stuff that I'm working on at uh, my website at boretta.net, B-O-R-E-T-A. And you can check me at Boretta on Instagram and Twitter. And then um, for the the ambient stuff, look up Superposition at superposition.world. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, I look forward to hearing the Alan Watts track. Maybe we'll uh, uh, maybe we'll feature it on a mini episode here. So when that drops, let me know. I would love to feature it on a track here uh, and uh, and help spread that out because I'm sure that it's going to be epic. So thanks again. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I'll definitely I'll, I'll send that over whenever it's ready. Awesome. So for everyone that's out there listening, go and check out Justin's work. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review. And if you love this podcast episode, share it with just one person or 10, but just one. <laughs> so until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off.